It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. wish you could see that what's happening that is um, that is the senate majority leader chuck schumer dancing on the floor in uh, puerto rico uh, while the house was voting that massive spending bill uh, just a couple of days friday night i guess it was schumer was in puerto rico dancing by the way i don't think dancing is his first call but uh, he didn't have a mask on of course in puerto rico everyone's supposed to wear a mask it's like you know new york uh, but not Schumer. He didn't have to do that. At the same time, Nancy Pelosi was across the country attending a um, maskless, a lavish wedding in California. It's uh, at the Getty Mansion. Lots of people there. In fact, uh, Governor Newsom and San Francisco Mayor London Breed, they were all having a great time <laughs> without their masks. But in spite of that, uh, someone, I'm not sure who, I think it might have been a Fox reporter, went on the street in Washington, D.C., which I often tell you is uh, like not a friendly place to be if you're conservative, and ask people on the street just randomly how they felt about how Nancy Pelosi was doing as Speaker of the House. Let's listen. I think Nancy is a magician. Fabulous. Honestly, I think she's doing an amazing job. I think she's been a masterful speaker. I think she has been doing a wonderful job in an incredibly different, pardon me, difficult situation. Like everybody else, she has too many constituents to think about. I mean, look at how Congress is divided. I mean, Democrats, even the Democrats, you have so many caucuses within the Democratic Party in Congress that she's trying to, to please every one of them. And I read this morning that she added the four weeks of paid family leave to the bill, even after everybody said they were opposed to it. So what is she thinking? I mean, she wants to put it back again? I mean, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't have control over the progressives. And it's actually, when the progressives first came in, they were rebelling. And then that kind of quieted down. So she's trying, she has a very volatile group that she has to, has to deal with. She is patient, thoughtful. Um, she talks to her members. Um, she doesn't get alarmed. I can't conceive of a situation in my lifetime where a speaker has had a tougher road to hoe than the one she's been given. But she has really worked hard, and I think she's going to end up with some appreciable successes. You know, don't you feel sorry for Nancy Pelosi? Look what she has to deal with. Bless her heart. And then so she's dancing at the wedding. She wasn't dancing. It was Schumer dancing. She was at this wedding d dressed beautifully, maskless. And at the point of being maskless, uh, the irony, the horrible contrast is that in New York City, State, uh, in San Francisco, in California, while these people romp and have fun, they are insisting on our children wearing masks at school, 
even even preschool, children as young as two, all day long for hours, but not so much them. Okay, so that leads me to my next little bit here. Um, President Trump, God bless him, was speaking at the National Republican Congressional Committee dinner uh, yesterday. And in the process of doing that, oh, how I wish I had audio, but I don't. I don't. I, it was a private event. I don't know that there is any audio, but maybe it will come out. But reportedly, he really just lambasted the 13 Republican defectors who voted for that huge infrastructure bill that poor Nancy Pelosi wanted passed. They felt, I guess they felt badly for her too, and so they voted for it. Uh, and of course, they understood when they did that, that that was tied to this huge $2 trillion spending bill, which will raise your taxes and implement every, uh, uh, trying to think of a nice word, every dream uh, of the left. Uh, really, right now, the Green New Deal, uh, um, amnesty for illegal immigrants. It, it's all going to be wonderful. And after all, Nancy has struggled so hard. She's worked so hard, and she's had so much opposition that this is just great, isn't it? I think Adam Kinzinger of Illinois and Don Bacon of Nebraska, Don Young of Alaska, John Katko of New York, Tom Reed of New York, Andrew Garbarino of New York, Nicole Maliotakis of New York, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, Chris Smith of New Jersey, Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey, Fred Upton of Michigan, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, and David McKinley of West Virginia. They thought it was such a great idea. And then, of course, there are all the uh, re- uh, Republicans, uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, Chuck, um, uh, Chuck Grassley, and I don't have the list in front of me, but they all supported this too. Aren't we proud, though? That's the list of people that have to go. The, the only reason that infrastructure bill passed was because they wanted to help poor Nancy, and they kind of wanted to help themselves because they envisioned that they have actually admitted this. It's going to bring stuff back to their states, you know, to heck with the U.S. Treasury and inflation, food prices, gasoline prices, the burden on, you know, heating oil, trying to heat your home in the wintertime. Oh, it, it just, you know, that's not important. And I would imagine if you looked under the covers there, you would probably see bridges named after some of these people. That's the way it works. It is thoroughly and utterly detestable. And so those 13 Republican congressmen need to go. And that's why I tell you, we have to pay attention now because uh, there's a midterm coming up and the Republican establishment will not give us people that will save this country. They won't. The people I just read to you, those 13, those were all the picks of the Republican establishment. Those are the go-to guys who are willing to help the Chamber of Commerce, you know, and uh, they have to go. They have to go. And I'm going to give you just an example, just quickly, of a candidate that you won't hear about probably unless I tell you. Her name is Laverne Spicer. She's down from the Miami area in District 24, uh, she's pro-life, pro-family, and basically she says, uh, broken promises and failed policies have left Miami starving, so I stepped in to help. The truth is, my food bank has helped more black people in Miami than Democrats ever have. And as a matter of fact, I think you should hear her voice saying a few of those things. Let's listen to her. Hi, I'm Laverne Spicer. Welcome to the Democrats America. 
Several years ago, I walked away from the lives of the Democratic Party. Let me show you why. This is the part of Miami that Hollywood won't show you. It is the part that the Democrats have ruined through years of drugs, crime, and broken promises. Democrats love to tell you that black lives matter, but when it comes to actually protecting black lives, this is what they give you. Crumbling infrastructure, broken families, and starving communities. If Nancy Pelosi and the left really cared about black lives, they wouldn't keep funding the abortions of over 250,000 black babies each and every year. Corrupt Democratic politicians never cared about regular people like you and I. You gotta stop believing their lies. While radical Democrats have been busy defunding the police and funding illegal immigration, I've been busy feeding my community. The truth is, my food bank has helped more black people in Miami than Democrats ever have. Black America, it's time to wake up. I'm Laverne Spicer, and I'm running for Congress because black lives never matter to Democrats. Only black votes. All right, that's Laverne Spicer, and she's running down in Miami. And I just wanted to give you an example. Those are the kinds of people that we need. We have some of them in Congress. They got elected last time and they are tearing things up. But these weak, oh, weak is too kind. These deceptive, undermining, selfish, uh, we used to say in many discussions inside, behind closed doors in Washington, that there was no difference between Republican leadership and Democrats. And I believe, honestly, that's true because when it all boils down, they spend just as much money. They don't care about the budget. They care about themselves and their perpetual leather chair in the House and in the Senate. They have to be taken out. All right, I'm not talking about death just for those monitoring my show. I'm talking about getting them out of Congress and uh, replaced by people like Laverne. All right, so um, people in Loudoun County are not standing down. I'll tell you, there was a meeting last night, and parents were, they were fit to be tied. I want you to hear just a little bit of this. This is clip three. Let's listen. I have the privilege of telling you that we are finished collecting signatures for your removal petitions. Piper School's army of moms and dads collected over 25,000 signatures over the past six months. They sacrificed and spent countless hours away from their families day in and day out. When we formed Piper Schools, I had no idea what I was getting into, but I knew something had to be done. Someone had to stand up and do the right thing and hold you accountable, and we will continue to do so. I used to think that there was no point in speaking at these meetings, that there was no point in trying to have a voice because you never seemed to listen anyway. But I had it all wrong. It wasn't you who needed to hear our voices. It was all those parents, grandparents, and neighbors listening at home, horrified at your actions and your inactions. They were the ones who needed to hear us, and they were the ones who signed your petitions. See you in court. Critical race theory is a Marxist philosophy and a cancer that spreads through the vehicles you spent my taxpayer money on, like Second Step. You have activist teachers using it to indoctrinate their hate in kids who are at the mercy of their authority. That is child abuse, and you have no right to brainwash children into believing that their skin color supersedes the power of constructive life choices. And we've uncovered your books in our libraries, and they are laced with pedophilia and incest. You can't gaslight us into your uh, child grooming psychobabble. 
You aren't fooling anyone anymore, especially now that you're sitting there doubling down on child rape. It's disgusting. All right, that's just a little bit of it. There's more to play, but I wanted to give you an idea. Loudoun County, is, the parents are not standing down, and they've gotten 25,000 signatures, in case you missed that, to recall the board members. And so, uh, by the way, Fairfax County now has issued this questionnaire to 12-year-old school children. It's a survey about their sex life. It asks questions like, uh, some people describe themselves as transgender when their sex at birth does not match the way they think or feel about their gender. Are you transgender? Which of the following best describes you? Heterosexual, gay, or lesbian? Bisexual or not sure? Have you ever had sexual intercourse? How old were you when you had sexual intercourse for the first time? And during your life, how many people have you had sexual intercourse with? During the last three months, how many people have you had sexual intercourse with? And I can't even read the rest of it because it's so filthy. It's just so inappropriate and disgusting for children, and that's what Fairfax County is still up to. They are not backing down, and the the principle here, all I can say is don't quit. This applies to the vaccine mandates. This applies to what they're doing in public schools to our children. Don't stand down. Don't quit. It's going to be exhausting. I was thinking about this this morning, and as I was still in bed before I got up early this morning, and I was thinking about you know, our founding fathers, I often will listen to 1776 trying to sleep, and I think of the sacrifices they made to provide for us the freedom that we have enjoyed, and we have enjoyed it, haven't we? We've prospered financially, we've enjoyed worshiping freely, we've raised our kids, we've made our own choices, uh, we've decided what we want to do when we grow up, we decide, you know, if we want to drive certain places or travel certain, we have We have really enjoyed what they have worked, what they sacrificed to give us. And so if you get weary and you get tired in this fight, just remember them and remember the future and remember your children and your grandchildren. And so don't stand down. Don't stop fighting. The fight is not finished until we have defeated these wicked people. All right. So um, when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about a different fight. This has to do with Navy SEALs. Uh, who are uh, appealing uh, the the vaccine mandate. They've been denied religious exemptions. It's just a stunning story. Michael Berry will join us next. He's representing them as an attorney for First Liberty. Don't go away. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. That was a legalization of abortion. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slugged in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light supports life. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the Ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Join Kevin Sorbo and Preborn in Standing for Life. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. This is Pause to Pray. 
A chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for David Neal, Director of the Executive Office for Immigration Review at the United States Department of Justice. His office oversees the nation's immigration courts. Amos 524 reminds us of the importance of justice. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for David Neal in his work with our country's immigration courts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. This fall, Liberty University is celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ. Since 1971, Liberty has been training Christ-centered men and women with the values, knowledge, and skills essential for impacting the world, a vision that continues today. The story of Liberty University is one of unwavering faith, and we invite you to be part of the next chapter. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Visit liberty.edu to learn more. Again, that's liberty.edu. There's a new survey out that should give all freedom-loving Americans pause for concern. Roughly 48% of millennials favor socialism over capitalism. That's the findings of George Barna in a new survey conducted by Arizona Christian University. The survey also found less than 2% say religious liberty is important, and 3 in 4 millennials say all religious beliefs are of equal value. Nearly all millennials now reject the existence of absolute moral truth. One other important takeaway from the Barna survey, nearly a third of millennials now identify as LGBT or whatever. The culture is in chaos, ladies and gentlemen, and it's our own fault. For too long, we've ignored what's been happening in public school classrooms, and now, now we are on the verge of losing our nation and our culture. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you. I want to remind you that lots of people across the country are observing a four-day nationwide strike over these vaccine mandates. Ken Paxton, I didn't, I'm not going to play the clip, but he is telling, telling you to ignore this mandate. And so is uh, Jim Jordan of Ohio uh, tweeting out, this is not a lawful order. You know, you do not have to follow this. And so I'm just telling you, resist while you can. Resist, resist. Uh, Meanwhile, the Biden administration is getting really clever. They are kicking off their nationwide effort to get children vaccinated. Your children, of course, must be vaccinated because we all know that there is almost no danger to them. But they still have to be vaccinated from COVID. Almost no danger, almost zero. And they're using Big Bird. Big Bird has just tweeted, I got the COVID-19 vaccine today. My wing is feeling a little sore, but it'll give my body an extra protective boost that keeps me and others healthy. Well, maybe not so much. We've certainly talked about it enough. Not going to get on that sidebar right this minute. One last thing before I introduce our guest. Uh, Naturally immune federal workers have now lodged a class action suit against Dr. Fauci, uh, Rochelle Walensky, and uh, others on this COVID-19 vaccine mandate. These are the people that have 
immunity and should not have to be vaccinated. But you know what? That doesn't matter to this administration. Meanwhile, the military, the military, the military. I can't think of a group of people. I have had more passion about them being forced uh, to having to have these vaccine, vaccines. Forced. Young, healthy men forced to have these vaccines or be court-martialed or lose their positions or lose their pensions. The threats are enormous. And so uh, the Navy SEALs, it's been an interesting story in the news. I've read bits about it. But now 35 Navy SEALs are fighting back, and they're being represented by First Liberty and the attorney, Michael Berry, who's a lieutenant colonel uh, in the U.S. Marine Corps Reserves, is defending them, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. You know, I should say, I just do want to say this, Michael. I think you and I met when we, uh, as part of the Military Religious Freedom Coalition, uh, convened by General Jerry Boykin, and we did some really good work, I think, in pushing back probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, it seems to me now, uh, with what was happening under the Obama administration. But now, I mean, all bets are off. It's just worse than it ever was. So in the area of the Navy SEALs, tell us the story. What's happening to them? Well, I mean, you laid it out really well, right, that that the, uh, the Biden administration has made it mandatory for everybody in the military to get the vaccine. And it's either, uh, you know, get the vax or get the axe, right? You, you either get the vaccine or you're going to get kicked out of the military. Um, and there's no, there's no middle ground. Uh, but the problem for the Biden administration is that federal law and DOD regulations allow for uh, exemptions. They allow for different kinds of exemptions. You can get a medical exemption. You can get a, an administrative exemption. And guess what? You can also get religious exemptions. And, and that's where our Navy SEAL clients uh, at First Liberty Institute's representing come in, is they, they ask for religious exemptions because they have sincere religious objections to the vaccine. And the Navy has told them uh, no. And in fact, the Navy has publicly said that they have not approved any religious exemptions for any vaccines since 2015. So for the past seven years, the Navy has said we have not granted a single religious exemption from any vaccine for seven years, and they don't intend on granting any, you know, in the foreseeable future. And so, um, so we filed a lawsuit because that's, that's pure discrimination. Uh, there are plenty of Supreme Court cases, there's federal law that says when you begin treating religion like it's a the redheaded stepchild in the law, and then you treat it less favorably than you treat other forms of exemptions like medical exemptions or, or administrative exemptions, that is pure discrimination. Uh, plain and simple, and that's exactly what's happening here. And but it gets worse, Sandy, because now, in addition to the legal discrimination, the religious discrimination that our clients are facing, they're now also facing various forms of harassment and hostility and intimidation just because they've alerted their commands that they're going to be asking for a religious uh, exemption to the vaccine. And 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 it just, I mean. It, it, it's abhorrent to the Constitution and it's abhorrent to the rule of law. It's the type of stuff that you would expect to see in China or North Korea or the former Soviet Union, but not in the United States of America. And yet that's exactly what's happening now. You know, Mike, uh, yesterday I was talking quite a bit about Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. And it occurs to me that the Navy SEALs are in his same category in this, about the same age, younger in many cases, but really 
in tune to their health and their bodies. Uh, they are like the, the, the incredible specimens of health and fitness and proper diet because of the work that they do. You know, um, no group probably is any healthier, I'm guessing, uh, than, than the Navy SEALs, maybe the NFL, you know, players. But, um, and so uh, it, it, you are zeroing in on these religious exemptions, which I think is, you know, excellent. Um, but there are other reasons why they should not be forced to this. And let me, let me ask, this is something I just don't get, Mike. I've had, we have so many military people listening. And many of them have contacted me. They write me. It breaks my heart. I can't stand it. I, and they, one of the things they say is they'll write their congressperson, and they just turn a deaf ear. They'll say something like, well, you know, we're working on legislation so that you don't get a dishonorable discharge. Well, thank you very much. That's nothing. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about why is there no one to defend? I know that you're doing it. But in general, like in Congress, no one is really defending the military. There's more about defending, there's a groundswell defending businesses and the mandates, but not, not our military man. How do you explain that? Well, I, I, I think it begins with the fact that, you know, people look at the military very differently than they look at other, you know, that a private corporation or, or, or something like that. And because I hear this criticism a lot. Well, uh, you know, they, they join the military and everybody knows that you give up your freedoms when you join the military, you give up your rights. I mean, I mean, first of all, that's not true. Um, uh, speaking as a veteran myself, I, I know that, yes, when we join the military, there are some things that some freedoms that, that we give up temporarily. Um, I mean, for example, you can't make public statements against the president when you're in uniform and, and or, the, you know, senior officials and leadership and things like that. But you don't give up your religious freedom, right? And that's one of the reasons why we are focusing at First Liberty on, on the religious accommodations angle, is that you don't give up your religious freedom when you serve in uniform. Um, you also, I mean, we, we, you know, our country has learned this. Uh, other places learned this during the Nuremberg trials. Um, our country learned it during Vietnam with the My Lai Massacre, that uh, you don't just have to blindly follow all orders. In fact, you're supposed to be able to think for yourself, and, and if an order is issued to you, and you believe that that order conflicts with or violates the Constitution or, 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 or other law, then you don't follow it. You have an obligation to say, no, that's wrong. I'm not following that order. And, but I, I think a lot of that is lost here, and, and I think it's because, you know, you've got, you've got the president, you've got uh, federal officials, government officials running around and claiming you know, we're in a pandemic. People are dying. This is life and death. And so I think there's a hesitancy to want to get involved uh, uh, on that angle because they just, again, people sort of want to leave the military to its own devices. And the other thing is, look, it's hard. It's hard to challenge the military's authority, especially in court. Um, and I'm speaking as somebody who, you know, first, liberty, that's what we're doing, right? We just filed a lawsuit to do that very thing that I'm saying is very difficult. And it's because there, there's a lot of federal case law out there that is says that that the, the courts are supposed to be deferential to the military, right? That they're not that we don't want uh, men in or in women in robe in black robes, sort of second guessing uh, the decisions that people who defend our national security are supposed to be making. And I think, but that's one of the arguments we're saying is, but if you don't, you know, sort of grade their homework and and maintain this level of oversight, then. They're just going to run away with this, you know, with this 
power uh, trip that they're on, and and nobody's going to hold them accountable. So um, I think there does there is a time and a place for our federal courts to hold the military accountable, and we've there's there's certainly precedent in history for that. And so that's what First Liberty Institute is counting on is that we've got a good constitution, we've got great judges out there who who want to apply the constitution according to its text, and and so that's what that's what we're counting on. Let me just give some facts here. I'm reading this from a Fox article. At this point, the Navy, they claim, is 99.4% vaccinated. Uh, the others must be vaccinated by November the 28th and reserve service members by December the 28th. And I want to give, um, I want to give a story that I'm sure you. This is the, in the Fox article. So there's a Navy SEAL planning to seek a religious exemption. And he was told that he would have to give up his special warfare pin, which is known as a trident. If a SEAL loses the privilege of wearing a trident, he or she is removed from the SEAL community completely and sent back to be a regular sailor, despite, in some cases, years of hard-earned special operator status. So, um, and you, so you cite some examples like this in your lawsuit, right, Michael? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's that story. There's the... There's the fact that the that the special operations uh, command issued a, an order saying that um, the seals themselves are not allowed to travel if they're not vaccinated. But oh, guess what? Your dependents aren't can't travel either. You know, so now you've got a spouse and children who may be stationed on a naval base far away from their home, right from where their family is. And here we are approaching Thanksgiving and Christmas, a time when many in the military will take leave and go home and spend some time with family and relatives. And they're being told you can't. Why? Oh, cause you're not vaccinated. You know, and uh, it's just, it's adding injury to insult. Let me, let me get you to respond to this. Lieutenant commander, Patricia Kreutzberger um, made this statement. And that's Navy Lieutenant commander. Mandatory vaccination for our service members is a lawful order that maximizes our operational effectiveness to be worldwide deployable, naval personnel must be medically qualified, which includes being up-to-date on required vaccinations. Service members are entitled to seek religious exemptions, and those requests will be considered in keeping with current Navy policy. If you had her in the room, what would you say to her, Michael? I would, I would, I would start with the very last words of her quote, which is, in keeping with current Navy policy. Well, current Navy policy, according to the United States Navy, is that they are not granting any religious exemptions. So that previous statement she made, which is, oh, service members are allowed to seek religious exemptions in keeping with current Navy policy. Well, well, how does that work, Lieutenant Commander, when current Navy policy is to deny 100% of them? Since t- going back to 2015, right? So what good is it to have a policy that says you can ask for a religious exemption when, you're, when you're sort of your unwritten policy is, you know, you can ask for it, but we're never going to grant it. And when we would deny it, we're either going to force you to get the vaccine or we're going to kick you out. Uh, so, I mean, again, this is where we need adults in the room. We need, we need judges and courts of law to say, yeah, it's not, it does nobody any good to say that you have a policy that allows people to seek religious exemption when in the very next breath you're telling them it's all an exercise in futility. You know, that, that sure, you can ask for it, you're never going to get it. And oh, by the way, the fact that you've now asked for it you sort of outed yourself, right, in front of your command, and now they can begin harassing you, just as you and I have just discussed in the ways that that that, that our clients are being harassed. And so, 
Um, you know, yeah, you can ask for the exemption, but now oh, we're going to take away your trident. Your family can't go home for for you can't go home on leave for for uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, we we the other thing that the Navy's done is they're going after them financially. They said, oh, and by the way, if your exemption is denied and you don't get the vaccine, we can now come after you for recoupment of training money spent. Right. So you know how much it costs to to train and produce a Navy SEAL. Each individual U.S. Navy SEAL it costs somewhere between one million and two million dollars in training in training funds. So they're going to go after them for that now. What I thought this was all about medicine. I thought this was about health and safety. No, this is pure vindictiveness. That's what this is. It is, Mike. And I, I would think that by now the numbers are getting so small of people that are, you know, dying or even getting COVID. The numbers are so reduced. I would think that would be part of an argument, too. But let me ask you this. If you should prevail and you get a court to hear you, would this have any effect on the other branches of service? And, and people listening to me, is there any hope for them that this might apply then through, through I know a process to them and their p- particular branch of service? Potentially, yes, right? And, and, and I certainly hope so. That's my intent and my desire, right? I can't, you know, I, I don't want to issue a, a, a definitive or a, a promise that, you know, that I don't have full control over whether that promise comes true. Um, I'll put it this way, because we're talking about the military, and today happens to be, you know, the Marine Corps birthday, um, and, and I hope that many of our listeners are our students and, and World War II fans, uh, as, as I am. What I really hope that this lawsuit is, is sort of like an analogy to the Battle of Midway during World War II, right? The Battle of Midway is extremely important to the United States because it was the first opportunity for us to strike back against Japan after Pearl Harbor. Right. And uh, was the Battle of Midway? The United States won the Battle of Midway, by the way, for those who, 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 who uh, maybe skipped <laughs> see, that day. They in, to go see the movie class. if they haven't read about it. Yes. Go watch the movie, but <laughs> definitely study about it. We won the Battle of Midway. It didn't win the war. Right. It, it, did, it didn't end the war. Um, but what it did was it sent a shot across the bow and it showed the world that we we there is a way for us to do this right we can't so it was that psychological victory but then it also provided us with that strategic foothold that we could then begin to use to make to make other advances until we were eventually able to win the war uh at least in the pacific theater and and so that's that's sort of the analogy i use here is that look even if this doesn't end the entire vaccine mandate across the entire dod i hope is that first liberty will have shown the way for others to say, okay, you know, um, that, that, that when, again, the big idea is that when the, the government allows for exemptions, but it begins selectively choosing which exemptions it's going to grant and which ones it isn't. And by that, I mean, that same Navy spokesperson you quoted from, I believe she, she also said that, well, just last week, we just granted five medical exemptions, five permanent medical exemptions from vaccines, but we haven't granted any religious exemptions. She's publicly saying that the Navy is discriminating. You know, that's, that's a public uh, a concession that we, yes, we'll gladly consider your medical exemption uh, because we know we can't discriminate on the basis of your medical health, uh, but we're not granting any religious exemptions. So, again, I, 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 you know, please, for everybody listening, go to firstliberty.org. Look at, the, look at the lawsuit that we just filed. We have a copy there. If you want to show support for these seals, we have a petition 
that we have we have thousands of people who have already signed this petition supporting our seals. So go to firstliberty.org, show your support, check out the lawsuit, and see the strategy that we've laid out for everybody to see. This is this is how we can do this. This is how we can win. I hope. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, exactly. I, and uh, the only way we can find look. We don't know if we're going to win a battle until we fight it. We can't just not fight because we're not sure if we're going to win. And you know that because you're a soldier. So, uh, But let me also say to all of you, I always tell you bring pencil and paper. We will put firstliberty.org uh, on our Facebook page, but I'm learning more and more that hardly anyone can see it anymore. So uh, make sure you go to First Liberty's own website, firstliberty.org. You need to jot that down and sign that petition. One last thing for you, Michael, because we have, again— so many military people listening and from other branches of service, what would you recommend to them as they are facing, you know, this is a horrible thing they're all facing. I had one young, I'm sure he's younger than I am, young, he's got like five children, and he said, I'm not taking it, and he told his command immediately he was not going to take this. What what kind of hope, what kind of guidance? I, I recognize you can't give us official uh Legal advice, that would probably be a mistake. But in general, what, what would you suggest that men like this do and women too? Stay strong, right? Stay firm in your faith. Um, you know, know that, um, you know, that there are people like First Liberty who are out there fighting. We are in the trenches right now. We are trying to, to deliver a victory that will hopefully provide relief for, you know, for, for those listening, you know, the, the, the hypothetical, you know, family that you just described, Sandy. Um, but they have to stay strong. They have to not, not give in. Um, and I know that that sounds difficult because there's so much pressure and coercion being brought to bear on them. Right. And, 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 and it feels as if the walls are caving in and I get that. Um, I guess, you know, I, I'll even disclose that as a reservist, right, and uh, I mean, I'm you know, I'm speaking to you as Mike Berry from First Liberty Institute, but, you know, another time in another situation, I put on my uniform and I'm Mike Berry, the, the reserve lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. Um, I'm in the same situation, right, because I, I, I have no intention of getting the vaccine and I'm seeking a religious exemption. So I'm not I'm I'm, fight, I'm, I'm fighting for myself, right? I'm putting my own career sort of where my mouth is right now. And I'm in the same boat, and we all have to stick together. We've got to stay strong. We've got to encourage each other. Right? Find other people who are like-minded, because there's, there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, the old saying is misery loves company, um, but there's strength in numbers as well. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and so the more people that stand up to this sort of tyranny and, and this hostility and bullying, uh, I think it's going to send a much more powerful message, right? That that really you're going to kick out tens of thousands of people in the mil- from the military. Uh, I've been told to my to, to personally that my position is mission essential. The the role that I perform in the Marine Corps, which I'm not going to get into here, but I've been told that it's mission essential. It's really it's so mission essential, but yet you're so willing to kick me out if I don't get the vaccine. Yes. All of a sudden, the the mission essential nature of my job immediately disappears. So. It- it doesn't um, make any sense. And even uh, just no. common sense shows you, if you just stop and reason, if people have not lost their, re- lost their reasoning, that this makes no sense. It makes no sense. And no, no time to elaborate on that. But Mike Berry, again, with FirstLiberty.org. Go to FirstLiberty.org and sign that petition. And also, some of you might want to look for some uh, legal counsel. I don't know. But that's the place to go if you're in the military for sure. Mike Berry, God bless you. And thank you for joining us. And let's keep in touch, okay? All right, thanks a lot. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
What would you do? Aunt Sadie, I appreciate your thought behind the gift card, but I just can't take it. I promise not to shop at Target because they allow men in areas that need to be private and protected for women and children. I hope you'll go to afa.net slash Target and learn about it. I'm not giving them my money. Aunt Sadie didn't know about AFA's call to boycott Target, but she knows now, and so do you. Learn even more at afa.net slash Target. afa.net slash Target. Bishop E.W. Jackson is on a mission. Some people are just embarrassed to be Americans. That, that's a big problem. I mean, I've heard people say that. They're embarrassed to be Americans. I'm not embarrassed to be American. I love my country. I'm, I'm thankful to God that I'm an American. I'm thankful to God to live in this land of freedom and opportunity and hope. And I'm fighting to make sure that that never changes. The Awakening with Bishop E.W. Jackson every weekday at noon central on AFR or catch the podcast at AFR.net. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A popular effort in social revisionism is happening, where racism, which is better described in biblical terms as skin color-based partiality, is a crime of which only people of lighter skin color can be guilty. Let's be clear. Factions, divisions, and dissensions, including those based on skin color, are the fruit of the sinful flesh. The root cause of partiality is sin. Every person, regardless of the quantity of melanin in their skin, is capable of partiality. The only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality, is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where's the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible, and we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit, and it's completely free, and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the Host an Event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The Biden administration is picking up where Barack Obama's left off in disastrously embracing the Muslim Brotherhood and other Sharia supremacists. As Senator Ted Cruz established last week, Team Biden has secretly withheld $130 million in foreign aid to coerce the Egyptian government to release 16 imprisoned Brotherhood-tied prisoners. Rather than liberate such jihadists, the Texas senator correctly believes the United States should designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization. He recently reintroduced legislation to that end. Senator could, moreover, take immediate action to counter the Brotherhood and its subversive influence operations. Two Biden officials, Barbara Leaf and Rashad Hussein, await Senate confirmation to senior diplomatic posts. Those nominations should be put on hold until serious questions about their ties to and or sympathies for the terrorist Muslim Brotherhood and its subversive Sharia agenda are satisfactorily addressed. This is Frank Gaffney. 
Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. This is um, a shortcut, and that is having the president do it alone. And I think the courts may say no. It's this is too serious a mandate to be done without legislative authority. Alan Dershowitz should know, and so we'll see because there are all kinds of suits being filed for the workplace mandates against the workplace mandates. I told you yesterday, and I need to repeat this, the OSHA mandate not only uh, is mandating that you get vaccinated, but is requiring employers to turn over the information on every employee, the copy of their vaccination, and access to all of their medical records so that the federal government can have access to everything in your medical file This is just frightening and wrong, and that's why we have to stop it. Uh, By the way, one one other thing I was going to bring up with Michael, but we didn't really have time. Uh, Daniel Horowitz has an article this morning that we will put on our Facebook, but you'll have to try to find it yourself. It's called uh, FDA's own Pfizer approval document suggests myocarditis from shot might be bigger than the threat, a bigger threat than COVID. So in other words, myocarditis, especially in young men, might be a larger threat than even COVID to young men. And I, you know what, I just, my gut, based on what I've been reading, tells me that's absolutely true. But now the FDA's own approval document is suggesting that. So you might want to look at that article and read it in more depth. We don't have time to talk about it anymore this morning. I want to go back to that Kyle Rittenhouse uh, case in Wisconsin. Yesterday we played the audio of the... uh, of the, uh, what was his name, had such an odd name, but he is a, you know, a a revolutionary. Uh, He's, you know, speaks for these uh, Antifa groups and shouts, long live the revolution. Let's see, his name is, oh, where is it? It's Gage Grosskreutz. Gage Grosskreutz. I wonder what what the story is on a person like that. And, of course, on the the bench, um, as the key witness, he was the one survivor when Kyle shot three people that night. Two of them died. Uh, Gage lived. Okay, so Gage was the, you know, very important witness yesterday, and he's the one who, now we know, lied at least three times blatantly. And he was forced to say on the stand that actually Kyle Rittenhouse did not shoot him until Gage Grosskreutz pointed his gun at Kyle. And actually, Gage actually admitted that Kyle was kind of careful. He was not careless. He was very circumspect. Uh, he really uh, he uh, he had told the police that he had dropped his gun, uh, and that wasn't true. He hadn't dropped his gun at all. As a matter of fact, he was trying to kill Kyle Rittenhouse, and he finally admitted that on the stand. It really was a disaster for the prosecution, no question about it. But don't be fooled, because uh, the left has been painting Kyle Rittenhouse as as a murderer, uh, as a Trump supporter. I I we, there is a montage that I will I will pull out and play for you maybe tomorrow. Uh, they hate him. If you're listening to other news sources, you're going to think that that's exactly what happened. When Kyle actually, as a 17-year-old boy, wanted to be a policeman, knew his way around a gun, obviously. Uh, I went with a kit to help people first aid. That's what he was doing all night. Uh, And it wasn't until these three different individuals, and actually there's a fourth who got away, who's disappeared, tried to kill him separately. It's all on video. And the FBI had a had an HD high definition video of this from the air and uh, lost it and did not tell the prosecution they had it. 
This is just ridiculous, which reminds me of another moment on the stand yesterday. This was where the detective was ordered by the prosecution not to read, not to look at Gage uh, Grosskreutz's phone. When have you ever heard such a thing? They are prosecuting Kyle Rittenhouse, and they tell the detective who's supposed to be objective and investigating the case not to look into Gage Grosskreutz's phone, not to investigate it. And so I want you to hear this back and forth. This is clip seven. Listen to what he says when the uh, defense asks him about this. Clip seven. Have you ever relied on Marcy's law not to execute a search warrant since it's gone into effect? We've had conversations uh, in the aftermath, but I don't recall not searching one solely on that basis. So this is, if I'm fair, one of, it is the only one that you recall using Marcy's law as the basis for not doing it. Correct. And it's the only one that you recall ever getting a direction from a prosecutor handling the case not to do it. Pursuant to Marcy's law, yes. Yeah, so that was a little interesting. And, uh, And then also on the stand, there was, I don't know how many witnesses, I wish I could just watch it night and day. I would really enjoy it. Uh, enjoy? I don't like using that word. I would find it fascinating because I, my heart has gone out to Kyle since this very this happened because we knew what was going to happen to him. That they would try to, uh, they would try to paint him as a killer, uh, and they would he would be the scapegoat, and that is what they're trying to do still. And as a matter of fact, the judge discovered someone, or it was brought to his attention that someone was trying to take pictures of the jury as they were boarding the bus. And so the judge claimed in the courtroom that they had found the person, taken their uh, camera, and had taken steps to stop any of that from happening. But we know uh, that Gage Grosskreutz was um, hoping to receive, I think it was $100,000, something like that. I don't think it was a million. $100,000 from the city of Kenosha if uh, Kyle uh, gets convicted. It's just a big game to all of them. And that they are planning. You, can you imagine how the jurors must feel? They know all of this. They know that their their lives are in danger if they decide that Kyle Rittenhouse is, is innocent. You saw how Kenosha just lit up in flames. And it's the mood. It's the, the community. We're stirred into a frenzy. I don't know how they feel now. I have a feeling I know. I think they're probably still stirred. I think they probably believe you know, what they've been told about Kyle, because how are they going to know the truth? Maybe they'll see it on Facebook, right? Not likely. And so um, with that, the detect the attorney was asking this witness, his name was Richard McGinnis. He also was right there, and he uh, had interaction with Joseph Rosenbaum. Rose- Joseph Rosenbaum was also shot and killed by Kyle. Uh, he was trying to kill Kyle himself. He was a convicted child molester, which is really weird. He has a very violent past and, and so they were asking the, I think this was the um, the prosecutor, was trying to get Richard McGinnis to say that he had no idea what Rosenbaum was thinking and how could he dare say that Rosenbaum was had evil intent. And this was the interaction, you should hear it, this is clip eight. I mean, you have no idea what Mr. Rosenbaum was ever thinking at any point in his life. You have never been inside his head, you never met him before, you don't know. I've, I've never even, I've never exchanged words with him, if that's what your question is. So your interpretation of what he was trying to do or what he was intending to do or anything along those lines is complete guesswork, isn't it? Um, well, he said, F*** you, and then he reached for the weapon. 
I'm sorry to laugh. I mean, that's just a, sort of the understate. Well, no, I don't. Basically, no, I guess I don't know him. I've never met him. And you say I don't have any basis for deciding what his motive was or what was thinking, what he was thinking about. And he just simply responds, well, he said, mm-hmm, before he, you know, when he had the weapon. So that that was just a, that was a very dark humor moment. But it's the kind of thing that happened in the courtroom and at every turn. It seems like the witnesses are actually doing more to advance Kyle Rittenhouse's innocence than anything I'm sure the prosecution ever had in mind. In fact, I'll read you what some of the people watching this more closely than I am, like uh, here's from Ian Miles Chong. He's a, uh, he's a journalist. He, said, he tweeted, it's over, beyond over. The prosecutors ask a witness in the Rittenhouse trial to change his statement. This is all under oath, on the record. So that's another story that I didn't get to. And um, Julio Rosas, I think he's with the Daily Caller or some outlet like that. He said, a Judge Schroeder reveals someone filmed the Kyle Rittenhouse jurors when they were picked up by the bus this morning. Schroeder said deputies made the person delete the video and added more steps will be taken to prevent something like that from happening again. Sorry, that's a repeat of what I said to you earlier. Uh, but basically, the people that are watching are declaring that this is absolutely uh, a victim. Uh, oh, no, this is absolutely a trial that is showing Kyle's innocence. But, you know, in our in our day of justice, quote, unquote, you can't be sure because people are being threatened um, on the jury pool, the, the judge himself. What kinds of threats is he receiving? And I told you, uh, Kenosha is a small town. And so... Um, we, we, if you believe that Kyle is innocent, as I do, we do need to pray for him. His mother has really suffered. She sits next to him in the courtroom, and I can see this. She's defended her son now for the last couple of years since this, or year and a half or so since this happened. Uh, she's begged for help, and um, they, they're not wealthy people. They're just people trying to do what's right. So there you go. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.